0: All right, well, good morning again. Welcome, it's good to see you guys. Uh, Man, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, It's December, it's officially the Christmas season. And I know I say this every year, but man, I love Christmas. I love Christmas so much. I love the decorations. I love Christmas songs. Just hearing that little Christmassy tune in the background of announcements made me feel so happy. I love putting up lights. I love going to get a Christmas tree. I love this cold winter weather. I wish it would start raining. I I just love this time of year. But honestly, one of my favorite things about Christmas time is Christmas shopping. Now, I know a lot of people don't like shopping, and it can be a little bit stressful, but I love shopping uh, for all the little kids in my life, for my kids, Kaya and Grayson, for all the little nieces and nephews and friends' kids and cousins' kids. Because there's really nothing like getting a great gift for a kid. Because, you know, they they open up their present and you see their eyes light up. And you can just feel how happy, how overjoyed they are. Uh, Last year, uh, we got a, a great deal on a Lego rocket launch set for my nephew, Cole, who was, I think, 10 at the time. And this is a really big set. This set is awesome. There's moving pieces. There's like a space shuttle. And it wasn't on his Christmas list. And normally it would have been way too expensive for us, way out of our budget. But there was a great deal at Costco. So we got it for him. So that morning, he he opens up the present. and, And as he sees what it is, there's just this mix of like complete and utter confusion and total elation and he just looks up at, at Alyssa and I, and he's like, this is for me? From you? And we were like, oh, yeah buddy, we love you. Uh, we, just, we saw it and we just wanted you to be happy. We thought you'd love this. But we got this on super, super sale, so don't expect a present like this ever again from us. This is not our new price range for your presents. Uh, This year, I've got a a great gift for my kids, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't trust you, but I am super excited to give them this gift. I am hoping for that same reaction, that mix of surprise and wonder and joy. You know, at the end of the day, I hope that they and all the other kids in my life feel loved when I give them their gifts. Well, we're in the second week of our Christmas series called Fulfilled. And I think the main idea of this series is that this was God's heart for us when he sent Jesus as a baby. Like, man, this gift is so good. It's so much better than they're expecting. It's so much better than what anyone could hope for. I hope they love it. We've been going through the the prophet series before this, and we saw, you know, that the people at the time... Of Jesus's birth, you know, they had kind of an idea of what God was doing They had an idea of who the Messiah might be who the Savior was going to look like But in Jesus God goes above and beyond He goes off list. He blows his gift budget and he gives us the best thing ever and so the invitation of this series and really the invitation of this season is to sit in wonder and enjoy at just how good this is, just how much better it is than we sometimes realize, to feel truly loved by God. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of, I think, the most cherished promises in all of Scripture, and one of the best promises in the Christmas story, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. This is a promise that speaks to God's care and presence. But I think sometimes it can be easy to miss just how powerful this truth is, how much closer God wants to be to us than we realize. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going through uh, Matthew's account of the Christmas story in this series. I spilled water on myself again. And last week, Eric talked about the first 17 verses of uh, Matthew's Gospel, and we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, and kind of this legal proof that Jesus was this promised Messiah. And here in our passage this morning, we're going to look at the birth, the arrival of this Messiah, and what it tells us about who he was. So Matthew 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So here we have one of the most amazing parts of the Christmas story, the virgin birth. And we're going to talk about that and what that means in a little bit. But I want to begin with what Matthew tells us in verse 22. That all this was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. That this entire event, the Immaculate Conception, the virgin birth, the coming of this baby boy named Jesus into a manger through Mary and Joseph, all of this was fulfilling a prophecy that the Lord had given through the prophet Isaiah. And I think what Matthew is doing here is he's setting up a contrast between what people were expecting and what God was really doing. And to borrow some language from Pastor Eric's message last week, what the people were expecting about the Messiah was pretty good, but God wanted to do something great. Matthew is showing people just how good God's promise is. And so to understand this contrast, we need to first look at the Old Testament prophecy that Matthew's referring to. And he's pointing us to a passage from Isaiah 7. And we're not going to go into all the details, but to make a long story short, in Isaiah 7 you have this king named Ahaz. And he's in kind of a delicate political situation. Uh, It's kind of like an episode of Survivor. You guys remember that show? Is that show still on? No, probably not. Anyway, so there's like all these political alliances, all these nations are kind of aligning together. And there's all this turmoil, power players here and weaker nations here. And so Ahaz and the nation of Judah are kind of caught in the middle. And so God wants Ahaz to do one thing. He wants him to trust in him, to trust God, rather than in military alliances or political power. He's saying, hey, trust my strength, my faithfulness, rather than focusing on the power of kings and these powerful kingdoms. And so God wants to give Ahaz a sign that he is with him. So he sends the prophet Isaiah to deliver this message. In Isaiah 7.14, the prophet says to Ahaz, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. So God says to Ahaz, I'm going to send you this baby, born in this kind of special, unique way, And this is going to let you know, this birth, this baby is going to be a sign to you that I am with you. Or put another way, that I'm for you. That I'm on your side. That I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. And so when you think about Emmanuel from Ahaz's perspective, or from the point of view of the typical Old Testament person, for God to be with us, is primarily about him being for us. It's kind of a statement of his care and favor, his continued presence on Israel's side and the world around them. And so they, when they thought about the future, as they thought about the Messiah, as they struggled through the exile, they struggled through their national problems, their deepest hope was that God would be With them that he would help them with these challenges that he would walk them through their difficulties and they longed for a Savior for a Messiah who would do the same who would restore their land and their nation and their people and so they were wondering God are you still with us God are you still on our side And so when we think about the idea of God with us, this isn't a bad place to start. The idea that God is close enough to us to be concerned about our lives, to want to help us, to want to take care of us, that's a good thing. Because this is all true. God loves you. God cares about you, cares about your life, is truly and deeply for you. He wants to help you and bless you. But we do have to be careful that we don't stop there as we think about God with us. Because it can be easy for God's presence to be something that's kind of just safe and convenient. God with us, God caring for us, God loving us with a little bit of distance. God being with us and for us from over there. This is a little bit like God, the great father-in-law. Now, I don't know if this is true for you, but I have a really great relationship with Alyssa's dad, with my father-in-law. And he is just this amazing presence in our lives. He's there for us when we need him. He fixes things in our house. He watches our kids once a week. He heats the swimming pool all summer so that we can come over every Sunday and swim. He buys us Nice dinners, he takes us on vacation, gives us advice on finance and parenting. And if we ask him to do anything for us, he's going to do everything in his power to try to do it. He is completely for us, devoted to caring for our family. But at the same time, it's kind of nice that there's a healthy distance. He lives about an hour away in Laverne. He's got other interests and hobbies. He's got two other kids who he takes care of. And so as much as we appreciate him being for us and his presence in our lives, it's nice that he's not in our lives all the time. We don't have every meal with him. We go on vacations without him. We can go to other swimming pools and swim there. And occasionally, every once in a while, I will fix something in the house without him. He's close. But not too close. And for some of us, this version of God seems about right. This kind of way of looking at God with us feels like what we want. God for us. God caring about us. God loving us with some distance. He's there when I need him. And this is pretty good. It's not bad to experience God this way, but there's more. Matthew has something great in mind as he reveals this promise of Emmanuel in the first chapter of his gospel. He wants to show us how much better God with us can be. And what God really wants to do isn't just to fix the problems in our lives, isn't just to help us with our current situation. What God wants to do is fix the biggest problems problem we have, this problem that has plagued God's people since the Garden of Eden, that we've seen pop up over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament story we've been looking at, and that is God's people's broken relationship with him. Their inability to truly know him, to walk with him, to do life with him in a meaningful way. What we really need isn't simply a God who is with us on our side. We need a God who will be with us, like with us, with us, among us, in our midst. A God who is relational, who is part of our lives. And Matthew is saying, Jesus is going to make that happen in a new, amazing way. And it's even better than we can imagine. And this obviously points us ahead to Jesus' death on the cross, him dealing with sin and our separation from God. But Matthew also wants us to consider Jesus' life. What we see in him as he spent about 30 years uh, on planet Earth and how his life impacts our experience of God with us. And so Matthew really emphasizes two main ideas about God with us here in this passage. And in the rest of his gospel. And the first thing is that Jesus is actually God in flesh. Jesus is God, like for real, for real. Jesus is God as a man. Now, when we think about this whole idea of the virgin birth, this is what Matthew wants to show us that Jesus is truly God. And sometimes I think when we talk about the virgin birth, it's easy to get lost in, in the little details. Uh, I was listening to a sermon uh, recently where the preacher was kind of going into detail. He was explaining this like biologically. And so he's going to the whole physiological experience of, you know, conception between Mary and the Holy Spirit And honestly, it just, it got really weird. I was sitting in my office on my computer and I felt uncomfortable. But he's going into all these details. And so anyway, I was just thinking, I don't think this is what Matthew has in mind. As he talks about the virgin birth. What he wants us to focus on isn't on how it happened, but on what it means. That is, you have the Holy Spirit and Mary, you have the union of the divine and the human. That both the divine Holy Spirit and this human being named Mary are both responsible in their own ways for the conception of Jesus. And that union is mysterious, it's supernatural, but in Jesus you have both things coming together. In Jesus you have this impossible idea of a fully human man who is literally God. God made flesh. And this is important for a lot of reasons, including Jesus' mission of dying on the cross. His deity and humanity are really important parts of his sacrifice for us. But as it relates to our discussion of God with us, a God who is present with us and relational, here's why this is so important. It's because Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Put another way, God is truly knowable in the person of Jesus. Now think about that for a second and really let it sink in. That we can know what God is like because Jesus is God in flesh. So if Jesus is God, then when Jesus walks, when Jesus talks when Jesus acts, when Jesus cries, when Jesus tells silly jokes, when Jesus calls out sin, when Jesus expresses compassion. All of those things, in every single one of those things, we are seeing the nature of God. It's not like there's this whole separate personality of Jesus, this separate human thing. Like There's Jesus, the guy, who's all of these things, and then you have this little ball of godness at his center that just kind of makes him divine, too. Jesus has his own personality, but it is wrapped up in his identity as God. And this isn't just like a father and a son. When we talk about Jesus being the son of God, it's not saying that, well, he inherited some of God's best qualities. Like, you can sort of get an idea of what I'm like from looking at Grayson. Like he got some of who he is from me. And so if you spent enough time around him and he got comfortable and he was kind of just doing his own thing in his element, you would get a glimpse of who I am because he's a lot like me. So you might see him in our living room and he's acting really silly and he's doing these little dances and he's acting like just kind of a weirdo. And you might think to yourself, well, that's not what Pastor Brandon is like. But really, it kind of is. There's a lot of these little weird, quirky things that he got from me because I'm a little bit weird and quirky. He likes attention. I like attention. He's kind of sensitive. Gets in his feelings a lot. I'm pretty sensitive. He likes Star Wars. And I'll be honest, I like Star Wars. There's a lot of similarities between us. You can get an idea of what I'm like from Grayson. But at the same time, We are also very different. There are things that I see in him that I don't have any idea where they came from. Things that are puzzling and interesting and wonderful about him that really don't have anything to do with me. And that's not what it means when the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, that they're kind of sort of similar and Jesus got some things. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We are one. This is the heart and personality of God himself. Because there is unity in the Trinity, unity in the Godhead. In Jesus, we see what God the Father is like. In Jesus, we see what the Holy Spirit is like. Because this is such a crazy, radical idea, pretty much every biblical author goes out of their way to make sure we understand this. In John 1, the gospel writer says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God, has made him known. In Colossians 2, the apostle Paul writes that in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now really pay attention to that language. It's pretty unambiguous. The fullness of deity. The exact representation of his being. Jesus Emmanuel is nothing short of God showing us precisely who he is. What he's like. And so when Matthew says that in Jesus, the promise of God with us is fulfilled, he's saying that God is actually physically and emotionally and personally with us in the person of Jesus. And that means that we get to see God for who he is in a way that would have been considered impossible. That people would have thought, no way could something like that happen. No way could I know God with that much intimate detail. To know God in a way that I could actually understand, that I could comprehend. No way that could happen. But God says, yeah, I can. Because I'm going to send Jesus to be God in flesh. God knowable. God approachable. God comprehensible. And this is really important for us because of the second emphasis in Matthew's Gospel and really in every single one of the Gospels. That Jesus invites us into a relationship with a real person. Jesus shows us that not only can God be known, but that to know him is to be drawn into a relational, loving, people-centered person who really and genuinely wants to know us. Now think about this. When we consider the reality that Jesus is God and flesh, what he does with his time, what he does with his 30 or so years, is pretty amazing. Like, try to imagine that you don't know anything about Jesus. Try to imagine that you don't have all the Sunday school stories, that you haven't been going to church for a long time, that you don't know anything about who Jesus is or what his life was like, And imagine you're a first century Jew and someone comes up to you and says, hey, God, creator God, the God of heaven and earth, he's going to come to earth for a little while, spend some time here as a man. Like, what would you imagine him doing? This is an interesting question. Lots of people have pondered it over the centuries. Remember Joan Osborne, the song, What If God Was One of Us? What if God was one of us? You guys remember that? Oh, they told me to sing it because people would remember. I am just full of current illustrations that I promise I'm not plagiarizing a sermon from 1997. But it just made me think of that. But really think about it, What would you imagine God would be doing? Like I just think of him doing some really important stuff. Like obviously getting worshipped. I think, I don't know, like he'd have like some palace up in the mountains. Maybe he would be like Superman, and he'd go around fighting evil, but he'd also try to fit in as a human and fall in love. Maybe he would be like Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen, and he'd get so sick of people that he'd go to the Mars to live there. It's all these possibilities. What would God do if he came to Earth? We can actually answer that question because we have Jesus. And what we see him doing is really interesting. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He spends his time with people. He spends his ministry, the vast majority of his years investing in relationship. And not with kings and rulers, not with the most powerful people in society, but instead he builds his inner circle from a bunch of fishermen and society's castoffs. He goes and he eats with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, all kinds of people who We really wouldn't want to spend any time around. He goes out and he finds the most sick people, the poorest people, lepers who nobody wanted to have anything to do with, and he he heals all of them. He touches them. He goes to them. He cares for them. Jesus really makes some unexpected choices. But again, this isn't just some distinctive of Jesus the nice guy. This is what God is like. This is God revealing who he is. We see in Jesus that God is truly relational. And not in a forced way. Not because he has to. But because he loves people. Because he clearly enjoys just spending time with them. What we see is that in his nature as God is this Pull this drawing towards his creation, this continued force that just moves him towards people to love and care for and bless and be with. And it's not because we're good, it's not because we're the best, not because we're the least sinful or the most holy, but simply because we are, because we exist. Because as his creation, we were made to be loved by him. As his creation, we were made for him to be with us, for him to desire that relationship, for him to want nothing more than to walk with us and do life with us. This is who God is. And it tells us so much about who we are. You know, I'll be honest, I've always struggled with how nebulous faith can be. You know, how subjective and vague it can be to actually have a relationship with God. It's kind of hard to pin down what it actually looks like, what it actually is supposed to be like in our lives. It's hard as just a person, somebody who wants to grow in my relationship with God. And it's hard as a pastor to say, hey, here's what a relationship with God looks like. And I understand that sometimes the idea of knowing God, it just feels impossible. It's discouraging. The idea that we could relate to him in a real, honest, meaningful way is really challenging. And so I think what ends up happening sometimes is that we end up settling for versions that are just less than what they could be. They're not bad, but they're not what God has in mind for us. I think sometimes when we think about God with us, God's presence, we just think about God for us. God, a great supportive friend, or God, the father-in-law. There when he needs me willing to help, willing to listen, and and I'll go to him once in a while. Maybe when we think of God's presence, it's overly tied to just certain behaviors. It's just prayer, or it's just quiet time. And so we can lose that relational element in the midst of spiritual activity. Or maybe for a lot of us, we've simply given up on the idea of actually having that kind of real and vibrant relationship with God because it's so hard. It doesn't seem possible. And really, the miracle of God with us, the miracle of God being made flesh and walking among us, the miracle of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, is that we don't have to guess what a relationship with him Would look like. Now, knowing God is still challenging. It takes work. It takes effort. But we actually have something tangible to hold on to. We have a North Star to guide us in this journey. Because at the heart of a relationship with God, it's not an idea, it's not a feeling, it's not a spiritual force, it is a real person who lived, who breathed, who existed as a man, and who showed us what God, is look, what God looks like. And even though we don't actually get to physically sit down and talk to him, we can have a pretty good idea of what he's like. We know the kinds of things that he cared about. We know what he would say. people who are hurting, people who are struggling with sin, people who have doubts. We can see how he liked to relax and unwind. We know that he liked to eat with his friends and that he didn't mind waking up early in the morning to get out on the fishing boat with his buddies. We know that he understood human emotion and sympathized with people who were struggling, sympathized with sinners. We know that he was never mean or cruel or condescending. That he called people to turn away from their sin, but he was always compassionate, always understanding. We know that he came alongside people and made leaders out of some prideful, cowardly young men and women. We know that he was good and kind and that people were just drawn to him and he never turned anyone away. We really can know so much about who God is, how he relates to people and how he relates to us. And most importantly, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that this God wants to be in a relationship with us. Not because we're perfect, not because we have everything figured out, not because we do all the right things, but simply because he loves us, and he's good, and he's a God who will always pursue relationship with us. The invitation of the Christmas season, it's not simply to appreciate and admire a baby, although that's fun, and it's something we can enjoy. But I really think when Matthew writes this story of God with us, this baby boy, he's inviting us to the larger story. To get to know Jesus in a real way. To see how God reveals more and more and more of himself with every page we turn in God's living and breathing word. God is inviting us to know him, to love him, to draw near to him because he is a God who is closer than we realize or could hope for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. And for all the reasons that we have to be thankful for that, we want to stop and be thankful that we can know you because of Jesus. We can know what you're like. We don't have to imagine. We don't have to make something up. We don't have to fake it. But we've got a picture of a real relationship with you at our fingertips. So, God, this morning, would you just remind us of just how much joy, how much wonder we have in this gift, how good it is, and that we would pursue it not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but that we would just enjoy a person, someone who loves us, we will find peace and hope and life as we walk with you. So God, draw us in. Draw us into your presence, into your love. Give us a desire for more of you this morning. In Jesus' name.